Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore today. My name is Tom Gowker, and I am so happy for three reasons, and we'll get into that. Just remember, Something Came From Baltimore is a jazz, blues, R&B podcast and radio show, and it's not really about Baltimore. In fact, I got three reasons why it's not. Number one, today is a Why Is It Good episode, and that's where we ask artists, musicians, and tastemakers to pick an album of their choice and then explain to us why it is good. And number two... We're speaking to Sydney Jacobs. It's a new friend of the podcast. Sydney Jacobs is a premier jazz vocalist and had the opportunity to chat with him about his excellent 2022 solo recording, If I Were Your Woman. Now, Sydney Jacobs is also a current member of the legendary Fifth Dimension. Uh, that is number two. Now, number three, the album he chose is the 1986 Triumph from Peter Gabriel titled So. And I love doing Why Is It Good? Because I learn things, but it's also even better when I enjoy the album ahead of time, too. I am a big fan of Peter Gabriel and the So album. So it's going to be a really passionate conversation. So why is So Good? We are going to find out in a minute. But first, don't forget to subscribe to Something Came From Baltimore. We are on 18 platforms that I'm aware of. Plus YouTube, it's Teaser and iTunes and Amazon and Pocket Cast and Spotify. It's all there. Also, check out my sister podcast called The Beatles Come to America, where I have the honor to chat with the Beatle guru, Brooke Halpin, and we review all the U.S. album releases. We are getting ready to chat with Cindy Jacobs about that Peter Gabriel recording called So. Let's listen to a sample from Cindy Jacobs from the album If I Were Your Woman. It's that Barbara Streisand classic on a clear day. On a clear day, oh, how it will astound you at the glow of your being. How shines every star you feel part of every mountain, sea, and shore. Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. This is something a little different. We had you on earlier to talk about your album, one of my favorite albums of the year last year, If I Were Your Woman. And Thank you. uh, I totally recommend everyone, if uh, please stop and take a listen to it. You're going to fall in love with it. This is Why Is It Good? We have the artists talk about one album that they totally love, and we, we kind of go through track by track and kind of explain why is it good. And, uh, you know, we went through some some topics, but what did you decide? Uh, the album was Peter Gabriel So, 1986. Are you familiar with Peter Gabriel before he went solo or anything about him? So as we were kind of talking the other day, um, my memories of Peter Gabriel were prior to that. But I think this album made me notice who he was. You know, I knew the name. And so this just kind of put him on the map and, and blew my mind just from a listening point of view. He was a personal favorite of mine and my friends. So with this interview, I have to shout out to Tom Griff and to Ken and Brian, wherever you're at. Um, as, as a, I'm a little older than you. So we were way into Genesis before yeah. Phil Collins came in. We were really interested in that art rock and the lyrics. And it seemed that, you know, like you a lot to decipher his last album with them was the, uh, the Lamb lies down on Broadway in 1974 he leaves in 1975. First album is is uh, Gabriel One. Um, it was in 1977. It stalled at number 38 on on our charts. Had 
Salisbury Hill, which is like on every commercial and TV show in the world. So, I mean, it has legs. The second album is also called Peter Gabriel. That stalls at 45 um, in 1978, and that had a hit with DIY. Uh, My favorite album of his is Gabriel 3, which is they call the Melt Face. That's from 1980. It had, it stalled at number 22. You got Security in 82 with Shock the Monkey, Plays Live in 83. The Birdie soundtrack, and then that's it. Like, so blew up, and then it, it's over. Like, so I remember as uh, a Peter Gabriel, like, loyalist, we really want him to be famous, but then he came too right. famous, and then it was like, right. oh, I don't I don't want him to be famous anymore. Like, it's that weird crossing the line. I want everyone Dude. to love him, but don't love him anymore, that kind of thing. Dude, it's ownership, man. And, and, and <laughs> Like, well, this is my guy. Yeah, I had the same, uh, I went through the same cycle with uh, Al Jarreau, you know, and I discovered him when it was like 77, 78, and he hadn't really blown up. And I was like, oh, man, this guy's amazing. And then he blew up, and I'm like, ah, I got to move on. Everybody knows about him. And then also the the um, the arc, you know, when when fame does hit, it, it, it can often, maybe not so much with, with Gabriel, but it, it can often change how you're approaching your writing and what your intent is with your writing, you know, because now you're growing an audience. And so is like what I'm not a Peter Gabriel expert, but I I do know that it's probably one of his most commercial albums. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I I have some little theories. We'll get into the album, but I got theories going on. I love it. This was a big album. This is like five times platinum where all those previous albums stalled the birdie soundtrack, was just, you know, just uh, something he did in between. He was able to hook up with Daniel Lanois. Yeah. And that's... Yeah, that was a game changer. Yeah, that he used him to get into, like, uh, uh, to do so. And, uh, you know, Dan- Daniel Lanois did uh, the Joshua Tree for and uh, Akhtung Baby for U2. Um, but he's really known for being really moody, atmospheric, kind of guitar, like, uh, like a sway in the, in the guitar sound. But also very like drum oriented. Like there was a big drums are always kind of mixed high in his things. He also did Dylan and, and Neil Young and Emmy Lou Harris, Robbie Robertson, all great albums from them. So he had a style. And then um, it seems like he really fine tuned it on so. So that's kind of one of my theories. Uh, also, the it was on the Geffen label and the Geffen label, the Geffen label was just, it just created and they, they took up seasoned aging like um stars like donna summer elton john right uh, right neil young and peter gabriel and uh i have also john and yoko share they had Joni mitchell guns and roses did really well for them and so did nirvana so they did have some hits but they had a lot of aging artists that just weren't hitting geffen was really upset with the fact that he wasn't getting hits off of, of these artists and that was that weird thing with neil young where he sued him because he wasn't making commercial albums. That was 1983. So ah, okay. you, you got the Plays Live album, which is a filler, and it and it stalled at 44. You got Birdie's soundtrack in 85. It's 162. He's once a hit off of Peter Gabriel. He's like, you know what? We're we're really like, you know, we're, we got your contract. We got your money. You, you have carte blanche on what you want to do, but we just need a hit. And I think that was something right. that, that was mentioned to him. And I think he responded to that. So with Daniel Lenoir, with the, the urging of having a hit record or making like commercial sounds, like I would say this album is kind of like art pop. You know, it's it's arty, but it's very pop, you know, so. <laughs> it, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, it kind of straddles that fence, you know, quite beautifully, actually. Uh, in, a, in a great way. The other part is that, you know, it was CDs came into, you know, the power in 1982. The Zenith, it was 1989. The peak was 2002. And the quality of a CD, like a well-produced CD, really like in, intrigued people. Like the So album, Back in yeah. the High Life, Roll With It, Songs from the Big Chair, In Excess, uh, the Kick <laughs> album. Everyone had these albums. Like they're yeah. like, and they just sounded good on CD. Now people complain that maybe the way they, that yeah, the way they're mixed now is not appropriate. But boy, do we love a man! And I I can't really complain when you put that so album on it so sonically 
rich and it sounded so good on CD that it was a part of that intoxication. There are my theories. You're you're absolutely right. No, those are, those are well more thought out than, than my theory. And you're absolutely right. I mean, that was one of the things just as a kind of a adolescent music listener, you know, I guess at that time it would be as far as my ears, it was the sonic quality that, that stood out. Like I could hear everything right at a time when I was learning how to listen to music deeper than just the lyrics and the melody. And so this represents that to me. And then, of course, I just put it on, you know, as we were talking about it not too long ago. I'm like, man, this this sounds tremendous. I mean, the the, the fullness of the sound. And also during that time, there was, there was this uh, Yamaha DX kind of sound that was permeating everything you know, flock of seagulls and all this kind of stuff, it, all great stuff. But then when you listen to this, they were using organic sounds that really our ears hadn't been attuned to at that time. Yeah. And now we're used to these sounds. But for me, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's a didgeridoo or not, but at the beginning of Sledgehammer, that, yeah, you know, I, I've never heard anything like that. I didn't know what it was. <laughs> and the blending of that was just uh, tremendous. It's the Shibuki bamboo flute. How about that? Wow, (laughs) man. Gabriel has a real world label where he seeks out like international artists. The, The label still exists. And so he is always up for organic and, and uh, world music, especially world beat. It's funny because it's, it's a, it's a small album. Like you do recordings in your own house and, you know, he's mm-hmm. using like drum tracks that he really likes. Yeah. He, he threw the synth in the keyboards and he almost have the album, you know, and he has some guest stars just kind of filling in the rest of it. But I mean, that's kind of what people do now, like today in their house. Right. So yeah, it's 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 almost like, wow, he is so advanced. <laughs> like This is like this is way ahead of what we have now. He saw the future. It was uh, three people working on this album in his in a barn outside of his house. Wow. You know, it was just like it, they worked on it really hard. They tweaked it. Bang. You got this amazing album. That's what people do all the time in their own homes now. When listening to this on the production front and. You know, as you're saying, just the, the personnel front, but just the vision of the music. It, it's apparent that he was like well ahead of his time, but it was still accessible, yeah. you know, and that's the whole thing. Sometimes cats are too far ahead and you, and, and uh, the majority of folks can't really access what they're doing. But I didn't find that with, with Peter Gabriel at all. So or this album anyway. We're going to get almost into the album, but I got that little history. I always love like Rolling Stones, like top 500 albums. You know, I, I scroll through yeah. them and, and through the years, 2003, this album so was ranked 187. In 2012, it was 187, which is kind of crazy. It's still like a top echelon album. And then in uh, 2020, it's 297. So it's pretty amazing, you know, to be in that uh, 500 albums. And also, you know, we're almost like 35 years later and it still resonates with people currently. It's very impressive. It's it's incredibly impressive. And and then also the scope of the music on this album, you know, the different styles that are being covered, the um, sensitivity. I think one thing that, that uh, Peter Gabriel is way into its analysis. Obviously, he's been through a therapist. I pulled some lyrics out. Sounds like he's doing a lot of self-love stuff that we or self-care stuff now, because the lyrics are, uh, I come to you with defenses down with the trust of a child. Like that is a therapy line. I, I went through all these songs and looked at the lyrics. I'm like, um, there is a lot of self-care in this, which uh, a lot uh, as a male uh, back then, you don't, you don't say that or, or sing it, but he does it with such conviction. The only thing else before we get into the album is that it was up for the best album of the year for the Grammys lost to Graceland on that list was control by Janet Jackson, the Broadway album by Barbara Streisand and back in the high life again. Graceland at that time was probably my least favorite of those albums. Really? Um, but, but it also had like a consistent through line musically. 
you know. Um, and I also think that it was marketed a bit better than the other albums, except for maybe Janet Jackson's Control. So all the stuff that we were we were naive about at the time, <laughs> but now we understand what marketing does. And and also a great album as well. But oh yeah, sure. Um, yeah. I mean the fact that Peter Gabriel is really like a nothing to American charts to get a yeah. no- nomination for an album that had, you know, four to five singles off of it, it's impressive. I mean, obviously everyone took a look at it. So we go to right to the Red Rain. What I was saying before is that you know, they invited Stuart Copeland play the the cymbals and the and, and the, the percussion in it. You can hear it really high in the mix. Yes, the self care language that I was talking about is I come to you defenses down with the trust of a child, which is in, is an insane, amazing lyric along with the rest of the, of the album. Yeah. And you can hear it. It's the drum programming, the synth programming, keyboards. When I heard it as as a child with the red rain, I'm like, oh, this is like a a, a nuclear war thing. It's it's war. It's it's, right. it's unnecessary death. It's like an, a dream of an apocalypse of some sort. When I read the lyrics today, I'm like, I don't really know what this is saying. <laughs> does stand for anymore? It's not that clear. It's a it's very open into an interpretation. Yeah, for me, it was it was the bold, the sonic boldness of uh, of Copeland's drumming and that sustained chord. Just from a musician point of view, not from a lyrical point of view. I'm a singer, but I'm always thinking about like what's happening underneath it. And then uh, with all of the atmospheric guitaring going on, yeah, I mean, man, it just you know listening to it right now, it blows my mind. So when I was twenty one or twenty two. Back in 86, you know, it, it just kind of cracked open my ears in a way that I didn't understand like pop music could be like this. Mm-hmm. I was used to a certain structure of music. Um, when you go back and listen to 80s dance songs and stuff, and then you have this song coming through. Peter Gabriel's voice is not like a top 40 radio sound. It's deep and, and resonates a little more. So I, I think that the yeah. when, when he's singing Red Rain, like it's you buy into it. I mean, his passion level the way he sang definitely committed. committed very yeah very committed to this and that's the true selling point to this whole album yeah the whole album and, and when i listen to it um the, the first description that i think of for his voice is gospel yeah because it's a spiritual commitment that he's making you know he's like full-throated on the song especially you know at the beginning he opens it up and then at the end when he's when he's whining and you know crying out it, it just seems like a gospel song to me. That was the spirit. I see it. Red rain coming down. Red rain is pouring down. Red rain is coming down all over me. I'm bathing in red rain coming down. That's awesome. I didn't thought of it that way. But, you know, we go right into the second song, which is that it's Sledgehammer, totally yeah. made famous by the video, the, the creative video that came out. It got to a and point where, yeah, I, I really hated the song because I heard <laughs> it so much. But, but, right. but, but listening to it, I was like, wow, where's this scratchy guitar? Like going underneath the whole thing. I said, I really love it. I'd say that this this could, you could strip the whole lyrics off and roll with it by Steve Winwood kind of could be very similar to it. I maybe with yeah. the tempo and stuff, it's very similar. He uh, wanted this to sound like an Otis Redding song, which I didn't really hear the comparison until I did my notes. 
and he reached out to Wayne Jackson, a horn player who played with Otis Redding, and that's he's mm-hmm. a part of the the horn section. Okay, that's the, the other okay. prominent. really weird to the song is that there's a break in the middle and that kabuchi bamboo flute does a solo like yeah like that is that is so weird that is like the intro that's this little boss man (laughs) that is boss to do that right yeah you would either expect Um, maybe a horn solo a guitar solo you don't expect a break to uh, with a, a flute about sexual innuendo again i read the lyrics i felt they were kind of ambiguous about that a sledgehammer you kind of get the idea okay maybe sledgehammer i get that at the end of the song he goes show for me i will show for you i really for you right i really thought he meant chauffeur like i chauffeur in a car I had the album, I had the CD. So when it came to lyrics, I, right. I finally read them and went, Show for you. I thought it was chauffeur. Right. Show for you. Like I will carry you along. Uh, I don't know. It's, and, and and it didn't matter to me what it was about. I matter. You know? Lyrically, it didn't matter, man. I, I thought they were saying show for. I didn't, I didn't even think about it. It wasn't chauffeur in my head. It was like show for me, but I didn't know what it meant. Yeah. And it didn't matter because it was like the gospel background vocals and, and the syncopation was great and you just wanted to sing it. That's like, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. It, it's more bluesier <laughs> and funkier now. This intention of listening to it like and saying, oh, I'm so sick of this song. But now that I listen to it, I'm like, exactly. wow, there is a lot of stuff going on and it is, it's a, it's a pure blues song. It's great. All right, so we have Don't Give Up. So what's your thoughts on that before I get, kind of go into notes? And you're coming off of Sledgehammer, yeah. which is trying to break your face. And then you go to this this tender, you know, you talk about like uh, uh, self-care and, and therapy. And you go to the most vulnerable spot of maybe, you know, the, the male identity. And that's the ability to provide and um, if I understand what the lyrics are, that's what I took from from it. Um, and Kate Bush saying, you know, don't give up, don't give up. You know, you, you're loved and we love you. And, and you can just see this guy or this human being just shrinking because their self-esteem, you know, doesn't allow them to do the thing that they, they're there to do or they think they're there to do. It's a heartbreaking song, man. But there's also some hope at the end, you know, when, when it, when you go into that reggae beat, that's so great, man. Don't give up, don't give up. Oh.
Yeah. So there's like it, it, it take it took me to the kind of depths of you know depression and darkness, and then there's kind of like this this glimmer of hope at the end, yeah. which can be life, which is often yeah. life. If the if Red Rain had a spiritual element, obviously Sledgehammer had a gospel vibe to it. This does too at the end. Yeah. Wow. Connection. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, this album is it's it's layered. You know, it's deep, and I also am a fan of changing changing tone in a song especially in a tag like this like putting on a tag that has a a different harmonic that has a different um rhythmic structure and even melody and kind of riding with that and you know it will be related to the song that just preceded it i probably got that idea from this song he listened to the album in sequence and he really it was very important for him yeah. to get the sequence right he wanted to end with uh, In Your Eyes, and he had problems with the, the length of an album. And then they fooled around with with a CD. But that slow intro buildup is also, I think, done on purpose, you know, to to change the, the concept. We just got out a heavy sledgehammer, and now you got a little slower buildup to, to Don't Give Up. They were looking at Dolly Parton as the, the female voice. And uh, that is crazy to me, and I could hear it, you yeah. know. I could uh, hear it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I could hear her singing it. I think it would be more nurturing because Kate is a little more wittier vibe, and I think Dolly is a little more maternal. So yeah. for her saying yeah. that, I could, I could see that. Yeah, I would say that that would work. But I mean, I mean, Kate kills it. Yeah, the whole song was about the Margaret Thatcher time period uh, had such high levels of unemployment. Employment because of all the deregulation. Yes. Uh, the okay. Whole, the Reaganization of uh, their their country. That's what yes, the songs are exactly. for for the people to who are struggling to hang in there. And the self care stuff is really all the Kate Bush stuff. Rest your head, you worry too much. It's going to be all right when times get rough. You can fall back on us. Don't give up. It's totally a self care uh, song too. Rest your head. You worry too much. Because of the theme and, and because of the approach to it, because it's so, you know, I'm looking here, I see they have like Prophet and Lynn and stuff, um, instrumentation going, but the song itself is very organic and, and the theme is eternal, right? I mean, if that song were released today, if the, if the market would allow it, people would instantly relate to it. You know, yeah. you got a gig economy now, right? But still, <laughs> it's like, yeah. life is tough, man. And you, you realize that the that the the powers that be don't necessarily care about you as an individual as they're trying to push society forward, and um, you can be collateral damage. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's a perfect song. It's a perfect yeah. song to me. This is a top forty song. Mm-hmm. Don't give up, you know. And then you're mm-hmm. like, wait a minute, this is pretty intense. So obviously, it really resonated with the people at that time, and it still does now. It's cinematic, right? It could be a movie. You could see it being a theme song to a movie, a very dramatic movie, you know, but it has that kind of uh, that kind of effect on on the listener. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful piece of music. Sequencing is so important. You know, I I never realized I've had three albums now. And I, I think it's like you're trying to piece through line with it, um, both sonically and thematically. And it doesn't always work, but, you know, it definitely works here because we're we're hit hard between these these first two tracks, and then you know he puts on the brakes. It like just takes you to a left emotional turn that the listener has to kind of adjust his his, his perspective all of a sudden. Yeah, you're coming off a sledgehammer. Okay, that voice again. Okay, the self help lyric. I get so scared. Yeah, lesson to the wind. <laughs> Sharp turn talking, talking tangled words. I can sense. 
that voice again is that inner voice, your inner child or, or your, the, 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 the voice inside of you that either makes you propel yes. the greatness or can sabotage you. That's what that is. Yes. And he, he decided yeah. to double track it. And you notice that the double like track is not even and it's not supposed to be done on, on purpose. It's done just to, to be a little off because that's the voice inside your head. And I think it's very like cool. a dialogue. Yeah. You know, this is Peter Gabriel, man. This is a cat that's always gone left when everybody's gone right. Yeah. You have to have an internal compass. You got to know what you're trying to do and, and where you want to go with it. It, it makes total sense. It's, it, as a closer for the album, it's, it's a little odd. But I think it's just the time consumption. And when you get the, the CD, it, it just flows naturally. I think they just kind of, you have to make decisions. Yeah. So this is the last song. And then we flip oh, it over okay. to side two. And you have yeah. to start off with Mercy Street. flipping the album over and it's uh, Mercy Street. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm seeing a theme that we're talking about that I didn't notice before. <laughs> Mercy Street, it seems like more of, you know, almost a hymnal. It's a hymn, you know. Right. Uh, and the overall theory is like redemption, you know, feeling, feeling whole. There's a mist of it so alive and alone. Nowhere in the corridors of pale green and gray Mercy Street. So it's kind of coming off of that. Uh, the percussion was recorded in Rio de Janeiro and they right. ended up playing the percussion 10% slower than it was actually recorded, which gave it a more haunting effect. And they went along with it. That was oh, just wow. Like, yeah. Natural a, tape, tape masking and delay, man. That's like pretty cool. Being able to slow things down and speed things up um, just incrementally always adds a, a little sonic wobble and flavor to it that you don't have in the original track. And if you're skilled at, at um, mixing and engineering, you can make it into a texture. The meaning of the song, it, it goes beyond what the lyrics say, right? I mean, you don't have to even understand the lyrics to understand what the song is is telling us spiritually. It seems like the sister song to uh, Don't Give Up to me. Looking for Mercy. Where you're inside, yeah. where you're inside out, looking for mercy in, mercy. in your daddy's arms again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Crazy. <laughs> that style of uh, lyric writing, I'm so I'm so jealous of. It was first introduced to it like Steely Dan with all of these analogies and allusions and like little fragments of memory and, and things like that, but all coming into a cohesive whole. And that's like, man, that's real, that's real lyric talent. With the research is that he didn't feel like he was so involved in the music that he didn't have the lyrics ready. 
and they really okay. Push it. So these are these are last minute, uh, you know, like, last minute lyrics. Okay, and sometimes that becomes or more unconscious than conscious is that you're writing from an unconscious yeah. part, and they it, it gels and you just go with it without really worrying a little about does this make sense or whatever. It kind of yeah. just it just kind of came out. You know, as a, as a songwriter, um, not everything has to make sense. But also, I can have a, uh, an idea of what I meant when I wrote a song and somebody else will listen to it and they have a completely different understanding of what it is yeah. because it hits them, you know, differently. So, yeah, this is another perfect song. This should have won album of the year. Hi there. I'm on my way. Big time was such a jam at the time. It's talking about consumerism. It's talking about being a yuppie. It's talking about materialism. It's talking about like desiring things that are are, are not really good for you, that that not good for your soul. And then through this song, he's wondering, "Am I just as bad as everyone else because I want this stuff too?" You know. So it's like a yeah. self awareness that he's equally as bad as what he's talking about in a fun way. Like belly's getting bigger. Yes. And my bank account. Right. circumstance i always thought it was <laughs> look at my eyes that just dance look at my eyes they just dance it's look at my circumstance <laughs> circumstance right <laughs> so you're at the concert going look at my eyes <laughs> it was, you would never know everyone else is screaming it too so no, I, nobody would care <laughs> yeah they're doing they're saying the same thing and and the bulge in my big 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 he says big 15 times i counted it so Big, 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 big. Again, is thematically it could be released today, right? And it's so, you know, if we didn't have this kind of big drum era of music, if you release this, this would probably be a hit right now. People would go, what what, what the heck's going on? And I said that this could be the theme song to every single Michael J. Fox movie. <laughs> and I think it w- might have been. No, uh, <laughs> you're right with the padded with the padded shoulders. But he always he always had that consumerism, yuppie, like yeah, oh, um, totally. Secret um, of my success kind of vibe. The, his name on 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 the show, Michael was it P. Keaton or something? Yeah, yeah. You always said you always had the briefcase. Yeah, yeah. No, this will be his theme song. Next track is a, um, a layover from Gabriel Three. It's an interlude. It was supposed to go from one track to another, but Daniel Lanois really enjoyed it. Kind of stretched it out more. And it's called "We're Do What We're Told." So, social psychologist, his name is Stanley uh, Mulgram. Uh, that's why it says Mulgram's thirty-seven. It's uh, right. Tell me about that. It's an obedience of citizens during time of war, and we do what we're told. We to- we're told what to do. It's basically. Uh, <laughs> You know, talking about how, you know, in times of stress, people make uh, decisions that are, are less advantageous to themselves. You know, so to avoid pain, I'll do whatever it takes. And if other people are in pain, I don't care. That kind of thing. That's how we give fascist regimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a very t- it's, a, it's a very timely song, isn't it? 
<laughs> Again, another very timely song. It's probably, it's because it's always timely because this is, a, this is just a human condition. Yeah. And humans need leaders, right? And, and um, if somebody rises up and says they're going to solve all your problems, it's easy to kind of let go of the little stuff as long as the trains run on time, at least for a while. And also in times of war. <laughs> yeah, you can't have everybody running all over the place. You got to be on the same page. Makes a lot of sense. It was, um, it's one of the reasons that and uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, their interludes that they would put in, like instrumental interludes that might break the, the mode of what you're listening to. For them, it was a lot of African sounds. And and um, so I've always, you know, done that on, on my albums is like have interludes of just atmospheric music. This is one of those reasons that I do it. this around this was a added track for the cd which is uh this is the picture laurie anderson had an album if you remember her oh superman her second album after that big breakout was 1984 mr heartbreak and this is the picture excellent birds on her album it's called excellent birds on this album it's called this is the picture in parentheses excellent birds the mixes are different i prefer the laurie anderson one and in this thing you can hear a little of what it is they said they couldn't, between the two of them, they couldn't figure out, you know, which one they liked the best. So Peter Gabriel put on the one he liked the best on his album. She put the one that she liked on her album. And N- Niles Rogers is, on, is the guitarist on this. I gotta go. Okay, so I haven't heard her version of it. Yeah, it's um, cool. Well, we're going to play it for the audience. <laughs> You'll get yeah, not yeah, all of it. Absolutely. Of it. I'll hear it when you, when you put it out. want to laugh the video is ridiculous you know the video is just okay. like low tech and they're like you know when you're when you did art in the 80s you know it's jarring motions is like considered art yeah something. yeah so that was again, really cool yeah, yeah. The, the, <laughs> those um skip frames but but at the same time it's they were con- both convicted in it so you were like okay well i can laugh at this but they seem to be really into it so yeah uh, excellent birds and we get we finish it off with in your eyes. It's loaded with like self care lyrics. Uh, without a noise, without yes. my pride, I reach out from the inside. I mean, talk another yeah, another. Awesome, right? Yes, very much so. Um, as I and I didn't think about this before we started talking, but in a sense, the two sides of this album kind of mirror each other. Um, there's kind of sister songs, you know, roughly on each side, right? So you could say Sledgehammer and Big Time. You could say, I would guess like Red Rain and In Your Eyes and Mercy Street and Don't Give Up. They're like they're like mirroring each other in, in tone. Um, yeah, I agree. But I'd never noticed that until now. This is kind of about an unfinished church in Barcelona, Spain. The, <laughs> that was his influence for it. The thing about In Your Eyes is that it hit the uh, top 40. It was a, a, a really nice hit. It never went away. So it was always on that B cycle. They kept on playing it. And then in 1989, right. it was in the movie Say Anything with the Jambox with John Cusack. And it became... Okay. 
it be, it was the highlight of that movie and it became another top 40 hit again. And oh, then, yeah, man. Then in 2001, uh, Jeffrey Gaines is from Philadelphia area and he did an amazing acoustic version of it, the acoustic and live and his intensity of that song also made this song time to go up, up the charts again. it's it's timeless it's like i think in your eyes out of all the songs that are amazing on this album probably have the biggest legs that most people are like oh in your eyes is on this album you know like yes i i i I think i would i would agree with that actually i mean there yeah it, it it certainly could be a song released today it's that powerful Yusef Denor brought him in at the end. He's singing okay. his his, his uh, native tongue of uh, Senegal. It's the uh, I'm going to screw this up. Wolof language. Yeah. And yeah, uh, man. I saw him in concert for the So Tour. And you know the, uh-huh. the Yusef has a really good album. There's an album called Set that I really liked. There's some other albums I listened to. He's great. However, he was dormant of the tour. And then all of a sudden, In Your Eyes comes out as kind of like the like the final song or close to the final song. And bang, he comes out and starts singing his version of it. Blows the whole audience away because yeah. they had no idea he's going to be of there. Let alone. Yeah. And yeah. he wasn't he wasn't an opening act. He was just sitting there waiting for two hours to get on stage to do it. And the crowd goes crazy. It's like a waste of his a waste of his talents, actually. You know, I would I would have slipped him in before. <laughs> it was a total shock. Yeah, what a what a reward, man, for you guys. And then they extended the the outro because it, it got very uh world beat, a very African vibe, and uh you have him like uh singing and it became more of a march. You could spin that out forever and and uh Yasu Endure's voice, it cuts right through your soul, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it's another person. Like, you don't have to know what they're talking about for it to have an emotional effect on you. Overall take on this album is that it's fantastic today. It's moody and atmospheric. I did mention that I felt that uh, Gabriel definitely had a therapist going on. The sample, <laughs> drum samples, created a world beat that was really fresh and new at the time. Yeah, it gave, yeah. gave me a total hope that we were like we were blending cultures a little more. Like we were getting. You know, they kept on saying one, one world, one love, one, uh, yeah. one world is enough for all of us. And I kind of felt that in that late eighties to, you know, to the, uh, a tribe called quest we time are, period, we, we were all the world, we were all blending <laughs> together and right. Right, that kind of went away. But I mean, as a, as a natural melting pot of all these different sounds and influences, it really worked. It worked really well. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a timeless album. I, I don't know what more to say, man. I, I'm every time I listen to it now, I'm just like, oh, okay, he was he was teaching us so much. And you're right, you know, we were at a time where where sounds were blending for the first time. So I was introduced to a whole set of of sonic you know packages that I've never heard before from this album. And that's a rare thing to say. Even some of my favorite albums can't, you know, they're not introducing me to new sounds. They're not introducing me to new languages and voices, but so is well ahead of its time. And then so it's so far ahead of its time, but it, it but it's so succinct at the same time. And it's packaged so well. It, it's, it's so well thought. And yeah, I'm glad we chose it. There's a lot of hate on this album that, that they're re-reviewing the album again. And they're saying, well, it's not recorded properly, or we don't like that drum sound, or it's too synthy, or it, it feels a little hollow. And I disagree with all that, all of it. So, yeah, I, I have a hard, hard time in sports and in music comparing eras. Yeah. You know, it doesn't do you any good um, because everything that happens now is built on the shoulders of what's happened before. And it's easy to look with modern eyes and say, well, they weren't doing that. And they were, but at, you got to look with their eyes. 
and I was there and I had eyes and ears at that time. Definitely. And this thing just came and cut through. It just came and cut through. Yeah. You know, so there will always be, be folks um, who are criticizing, but I really got to watch criticism sometimes um, because if there's not, a, if it's not contextualized, yeah. then it, it's kind of useless, you know, especially when you're comparing something in 2022 or 2023 to something in 1986 and 19, that ain't fair, man. Yeah, think, my friend, that was fun, man. Yeah. Thank you for joining me today on Something Came From Baltimore, the Why Is It Good? Peter Gabriel So Show. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for inviting me, man. It was a pleasure once again. Why is it good? It's always a blast. Thank you, Sidney Jacobs, for spending an hour with me and uh, talking about Peter Gabriel's So album. And we thank Peter Gabriel for releasing such an amazing, revolutionary recording. The show is over. Everyone have a great day. Something came from Baltimore. Something came from Baltimore. 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 Baltimore.